0: This is the Drummers Resource Podcast, session 567. And the quote of the day is Fear has a large shadow, but he himself is small. You're listening to the Drummers Resource Podcast, home of in depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers, music industry professionals, and thought leaders. Inspiration, education, and motivation for drumming and beyond and beyond and beyond and beyond. What's going on, everybody? Nick Ruffini here, episode five hundred and sixty-seven. I hope all is well in your world, and and things are starting to open up. So I think uh, I think we're I think we're turning the corner on this whole on this whole quarantine thing. It'll be interesting to see where live music goes and and what happens and when shows start coming back. But I'm hopeful that one things will start coming back sooner rather than later. But I do I really believe that there is some pent up need and want for live music so i think that when it does come back it's going to come back huge so i'm definitely looking forward to that because I would pay any amount of money to go to a concert in a big venue right now. So uh, anyway, so again, I hope all is well in your world. And I'm gonna get into this conversation. This is with Tom Hurst. And quickly, I want to thank Quade Finnegan for connecting Tom and I. Uh, he reached out on Facebook and said, "Hey, you should you should get Tom on here." And Tom and I did not know each other, but now we do, which I'm super super excited about. And I'm glad again that uh, that Quade hooked us up. So Tom is, I mean. I mean, he's a pro's pro he's he's been doing this for a long time 25 years he's in nashville and he's originally from gainesville florida but we talk about how moving to a new town and how you start to network and how you start to gain friends and build relationships and really really practical advice from a guy who's been doing it for a long time with a-listers like the backstreet boys and wang chung and Sister Hazel and Tracy Lawrence and the list goes on. But he's not only done that, he's done Broadway gigs, he's done cruise ship gigs, he teaches and all of that experience combined with the way that he's been able to build a career in a new city that he moved to is really important to listen to. And and we talk a lot about things that you could take into your own world and whether it be moving to nashville or going to any other city and how you can really make it in that city in a genuine way in a way where you're not coming off as a salesman or you're walking around like handing out your business card and collecting as many names as possible so really really great practical advice and i'm not going to waste any more time let's get into it with tom hurst Tom Hurst, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thanks for having me, Nick. It's a pleasure to be on.
0: So where are you in the world right now?
1: Well, I actually just got back home. I'm back in uh, Nashville, actually Fairview, Tennessee, out kind of southwest of town. Um, Just got back from Florida. My son and I were down visiting family uh, for the last week.
0: Oh, nice. Nice. What part of Florida? Uh,
1: Gainesville, where I grew up.
0: Oh, okay. Who... Never mind. I was thinking. I was like, who was I just talking to that that is from Gainesville, Florida, or lives in Gainesville, Florida?
1: A uh, few on the on the drummer front, you'd have Mark Trojanowski from Sister Hazel, mm. and uh, of course Stan Lynch from the right. you know from Tom, Tom Petty.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Anyway, we're not here yeah. to talk about Florida. We're here to talk. Oh, about, That's
1: okay. <laughs> let's talk about let's <laughs> talk
0: about drums. Um. So I. I think main, probably the the most important question that I have to ask you is what is the story of Rich Redmond crashing your first date with your wife?
1: <laughs> That's great. <laughs> I love I love it. She still gets a big kick out of that one. I I just saw her today. She was over. We're dropping. My son was going over to her, her place for the weekend. Um, we were l- laughing about it many times. But yeah, Rich and I had been. Uh, we're so funny because we've known each other forever, but we would rarely actually get together unless it was, you know, out on the road. Typical, mm-hmm. I'd see him I'd see him more on festivals in the summer than in town, and, you know, it was always, buddy, we gotta get together, we gotta do something. <laughs> you know, do, That's a good do Rich, rich. Redmond impression. <laughs> yeah, do my Rich, you know, he always rolls his eyes when I do that. Uh, <laughs> every, everybody does a Redmond. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's the highest form of flattery, I guess. But no, um, I think we had finally kind of lined up, I I want to say it was right around... Coming up on the CMA Fest time, and it just so happened I had started dating Heather right in that same time frame. It was like first—I mean, we're Excuse me, we've been talking and like I've met at a session of all things because. Mm. Uh, I I was playing on a Will Hogue album playing percussion and the drummer and uh, his his girlfriend knew Heather. So I kind of got introduced and we're like, oh, we ought to get together, you know, let's have a drink or something. And about the same time, Rich and I had made plans. And I think we were uh, we were supposed to meet in Sylvan Park where he used to live. And, you know, this my Heather, this gal that I was beginning to date, she taught school right over there. And uh, I said, well, I'm going to meet up with my buddy Rich. You know, why don't you come join us? So in a way, she crashed. Rich and Mike, ah. uh, our, our our little mandate. That's the true story, right there. <laughs> That's the true story. He kind of <laughs> spun it around, but I was like, and, and it was hilarious because he really did. She walks in the door, and he's like, "Buddy, you didn't tell me she was such a milf." <laughs> 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 to her, to her face, and she's like, "Heather," goes, and Heather's so cool. She's like, "Hi, I'm Heather. What's your <laughs> name?" <laughs> So yeah, that's the, that was pretty much it. And from there it was, uh, we discussed my gray hair, you know, it was, buddy, you're so brave. I can't believe, you know, he said, I'm still, I'm not, I'm not going to, I think at this time we were, I don't know. I was probably already 40 cause I think I'm a little older than Rich, but you know, I've I've been gray since my twenties. Right. <laughs> so it was you know, I'm like, who am I fooling dude? Everybody in town knows I got gray hair. I'm right. Right. Pays, pays me to play.
0: <laughs> exactly. I love Rich. So Rich, if you're oh, listening, we love you,
1: yeah. buddy. Oh dude. He's the best.
0: Um, talk to me talk to me about growing up you you grew up in Gainesville Florida and I would imagine that I mean I've been to Gainesville not, didn't spend I uh, haven't spent a significant amount of time there I'm guessing it's not the melting pot of of a bunch of different musical styles uh but maybe it is I don't know and you can you can tell speak more to that because the thing that's that I'm always impressed by is people who have had careers in multiple genres and have been able to adapt and and I I almost think that that is that's in like an almost like an old school mentality where it's like hey you got to learn all these styles because you might get hired for yep. this thing or get hired for this thing which I don't necessarily see that much of these days. Um right. but talk to me talk to me about about Gainesville and and the influence of music that's going on in Gainesville, Florida when you were growing up or when you got into playing
1: yeah it's 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 a really astute observation nick because that was the thing you you know people immediately especially now in nashville when they know i'm from there the first question is always tom petty and ironically enough i never even physically saw tom i went to the same high school as Petty. uh honestly yeah years after him yeah, i yeah. graduated in 86 but my stepdad went to school with him didn't know i mean you know, my stepdad was uh more in athletics and stuff um But yeah, you know, so you can imagine growing. I grew up there in the 70s and uh, Gainesville actually was pretty eclectic. It's funny because of the university, it tends to be a town that every every few years it kind of the whole scene there morphs. I can't really Mm. speak to it now as much now. But throughout time and kind of before social media, when you'd, you'd have real uh, seasons of change, it was a real, real hippie town in the in the '70s. So there was a big music scene that I obviously was before my time. Mm-hmm. But you ha- you had a lot of the southern rock element, guys from Molly Hatchet, some of the guys from Blackfoot, um, you know the Skinner connection with them being right over in Jacksonville, Allman mm-hmm. Brothers. There was man, that was a huge influence. And ironically enough, you can probably relate to this. I wanted nothing to do with Southern rock because I heard it all, all the time. Yeah. Like, you know, so when I first became aware of music and really got like started to care about it, I was way more into uh, racing BMX. I was heavy, heavy bicycle motocross, traveled and skateboarded. And, um, I just remember, uh, it was actually, it wasn't so much the musical influences. It was the guys that I rode with. And what they were listening to Mm. and and we weren't really into the you know the stuff that came from gainesville or from that region that north florida thing we were into like duran duran and the fix and you know in excess the police you know that was like early you know imagine late 70s early 80s quiet riot (laughs) so um but yeah musically though i will say that the town really had an effect on me once i got in middle school and into band and began, like I happened to go to Howard Bishop Middle School, which is two blocks from Petty's house and where Don Felder from the Eagles grew up and Bedmont Tench, you know, from, um, uh, from the Heartbreakers. So, so there was, a I mean, lot. there's a
0: rich history there then. Yeah.
1: Oh yeah, dude. Less Than Jake, Sister Hazel, all these came out of, Less Than Jake were all guys who came to school in Gainesville. I knew those guys. They used to open for one of the bands I was in when I was back in Gainesville at, in the nineties. Um, but there's, and of course, uh, from less than Jake, Vinny went on to start fueled by ramen, and he he helped break Paramore and um, I think Panic at the Disco, several wow. bands. I, you know, I can't say I don't really know Vinny very well. I just mm. we've met in passing, you know, years ago. But going back to that '70s to '80s, there were some great college bands. I mean, honestly, dude, I got hip to so much music because the two guys i played in that were both in different fraternities and all they were doing was just doing like a fun frat band when i was a senior in high school and they took me under their wing and i just got lucky the bass player had gone to university of miami so he knew he was heavy into fusion and you know they're these guys are laying weather report on me and stuff when i'm 16 you know i thought i was i thought i was in the know, because I knew who Omar Hakeem was. I'm like, you know, bring on the night, you know, and I was, I was all about that. And they're like, Tom, man, you haven't heard Omar on weather report though. (laughs) You you need to hear hear Peter Erskine. I'm like, Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) So, so that the collegiate thing, I think that there, it it can be tough because the town's very uh, cyclical and, you know, transient. Mm -hmm. And, and it's funny because, and I, I, I I have so much devotion to the University of Florida. I did, you know, we'll talk about that, but I did both my undergrad and graduate's School work there, and um, I love the faculty and people there. But the university was not really known for its school of music, really, because Ford is such a you know math science business. It's like the flagship university for hey, ha- how do you get paid big bucks? Right, right. <laughs> and you know, and we all know music usually can kind of in the liberal arts. At like a school like Florida State was actually had more of a heavy music program, and not and Florida was more like cranked out a lot of really good band directors and stuff. So I wasn't that involved there, but it was definitely the local scene there were some fantastic players who passed through so that had a heavy influence on me
0: yeah it's amazing that like you said where I'm hang I was hanging out with skaters and we were all listening to this particular type of music it's so amazing and i don't think that we realize that we listen to what our friends listen to you know, like we listened, I mean, for the most part, like I had a, I grew up with an older brother. So I was sort of, I, I think I was the guy who was giving all the music to my friends because I was getting it from my older brother. <laughs> right. So yeah. I, like people are like, where are you finding this stuff? And I'm like, I'm a musicologist where it was really like <laughs> my brother was giving it to me. Um But, but the, the influence of the people who are around you. We already know that, you know, there's peer pressure in a good way or a bad way, right? But then, sure. But this, this influence of what other people are listening to. And if you look back, it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's heavy to say, but it's like someone's life could have been totally different if they were hanging out with someone differently oh, or listening to different music or reading different completely. books or, you know, it's amazing.
1: Well, we have, you know, there's two things that made me think because it's very poignant. Um, I, you really, there's some guys who really did kind of save my life. My mom was great, you know, but my dad had passed away when I was young and I have, I'm, you know, uh, sorry about that. I, I have definitely my fair share of piss and vinegar. And I was always, Finding ways to get into fights or do something stupid, Right. and be, being involved in BMX and skateboarding, surfing, um, and you know, and being around a lot of my friends who had garage bands, it actually was keeping me out of trouble. I mean, I didn't, I wasn't really interested in drugs or anything because I was digging the stuff I did with my buddies. I couldn't keep up, man. If you're like, you know, smoking weed or something, you can't go out and race bikes. Right? <laughs> you get your right. Butt, You get your butt kicked, and. Um, And that's the thing. I look back. It's ironically enough. This this coming Monday, uh, Monday, I'm going over to hang with an old friend of mine, Malcolm Hadley, that was a Pro BMXer, and his musical tastes were huge. Like I heard the Replacements through him, and I heard, you know, like like said, the early Police. That was the first place I ever heard that stuff. Mm -hmm. And I and I'm like you, my I didn't. I'm uh, only child, but I had a a cousin Alex who was a huge Rush, Kiss, Journey. I mean, dude, he, he, you know, like wheel in the sky first time i heard that and heard you know of course the early rush whether it was caress steel and moving pictures you know uh um what's a uh, jacob's ladder off mm-hmm. the permanent waves that was that you know it's, i still remember getting chills looking at that album cover listening to his vinyl you know and, and this was uh, the idea of sitting down and listening to music like you know like critically listening was a my cousin alex he was not a musician he no he was heavy into you know played played sports and stuff but man he knew his rush <laughs> you know <laughs>
0: I I remember there was a time it was like four of us sitting in a room and we would just like sit around and listen to music. Literally, just sit. And a a friend of ours was like, "What? What are you? What are we doing? What are we doing here?" And we were like, "What? What do you mean? We're listening to music. We're analyzing. We're like, we're just enjoying it." He's like, "But we're just sitting here listening to music." And I was like, "What else do you want? What else do we need to be doing?" (laughs) Coincidentally the three out of the me and, and the two other people who were really into it all became musicians, you know, all like career musicians. And then the one guy who wasn't into it is never became a musician, you know, never, never wanted anything to do with it. And it's like, it's crazy. (laughs) Like how that you're at that age when you're like, no, 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 I really enjoy this stuff. And the things that you have an affinity towards how it plays out later in life is. is
1: Oh, Absolutely. Well, he probably he's probably one of the guys when you know before COVID that would be down on Lower Broadway going Freebird, yeah, <laughs> play exactly. some music for us to play some music for us to talk to,
0: <laughs> yeah, play some music for us to talk to.
1: <laughs> well, you know, and the funny thing about it, Nick, I come from a family that other than my, my dad did play drums. He played as a hobby, you know? Um, so there was a drum set in the house, but you know, like I said, he passed away scuba diving. He was a heavy duty cave diver. He died when I was about six. Oh, wow. And I remember, I remember him playing, you know, like him being, being around a bit, but nobody else in our family. I mean, he put himself through college playing in like dance bands and stuff, but you know, nice. I wouldn't say like, you know, he even from my mom tells me, he's like, Oh Yeah. Bill didn't think he was all that, you know, he's like, she's like, he played a bit, but he wasn't like, you are like obsessed with drums the, right. in that way. So
0: huh. that's <laughs> great. I mean, and the amazing thing is like the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Right. Like,
1: right. It's funny.
0: Whether, you know, I mean, obviously you remember him, but like he didn't have a, a huge influence on you growing up because he passed at such an early age Yep. and, but still like, where, where did that bug come from? Where, why did you decide to play drums?
1: I think two things I think I definitely have had as I got older, like in high school, I would I remember my first garage bands I got kicked out of because I couldn't play Rush or I couldn't play Deep Purple. I sounded like I sounded terrible. Like I was I couldn't mimic Bonham and all my buddies could. And I didn't even hear the parts. Honestly, Nick, I would like go. I'd hear the melody, but I couldn't, I didn't understand the idea of focusing on the drums. Right. And it's kind of, it's come full circle, not to digress. We'll talk about that later. But I, it's a thing that I talk to students about now, you know, like, hey, you know, it's not all about the drums. The drums are serving something bigger. Mm -hmm. But, but I do remember that the funniest thing is maybe, I think my dad's music listening habits were very R and B and soul oriented. And um, he loved like his rock groups were Zeppelin CCR. So, but particularly credence credence for some reason resonated with me. I always sat, you know, down on the corner, you know, I just kind of, I had a feeling for that kind of stuff. And I can remember when I was getting kicked out of all these little garage bands that didn't get paid. Somehow, one of my buddies, I played. I played with some. I would, you know, like played sports with some of my friends, and I went to church with them, and it was a predominantly African American church, and I got to be friends with some of the guys that played in there, and they'd let. They're like, "Oh, Tom, man, you play drums? Why don't you play?" And I'm like, "Oh, no, 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 no." <laughs> and They just give me, "No, man, go ahead and play." And I'd get up, and I could, I kind of, for whatever it was, they're like, "Man, you got a nice pocket," or you know, whatever they call it, feel right. at the time, and it was so funny because I played in all these with my rock friends that didn't like the way I drummed all of a sudden I was really being accepted into more what would now be kind of like the church drumming scene. You know, Mm -hmm. it's 19, golly, it's 1984. And just some of my best friends growing up. So I started working in a dance band when I was like 15, uh, you know, funk and soul dance band. And I mean, I'm playing, you know, chic and Brick, you know, and all these different bands, Earth, Wind and Fire, and that stuff just spoke to me. But the whole point of all that diatribe is that my dad, I I really think that that was kind of my dad's thing. When I look back at what his album collection and stuff, he was very much into soul. And I think that's where the bug, the just some things that felt good. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I didn't care so much. It's funny. I love Neil and Stuart Copeland, but that's not what really drove me into music. It had to like make me feel kind of alive.
0: Yeah. Yeah. At, at what point are you thinking, you know, this may be something that I, that one, that I can be good at or that I can mm-hmm. be great at or, or can turn this into maybe into a career or what do you think? I mean, obviously when you're younger, you're not thinking like, you know, oh, this could be a career for me when you're 10 <laughs> years old or whatever. But as you start to get older, did you, did you start to think maybe I could turn this into a career?
1: It's kind of funny because I, I actually Would was resistant to it because I didn't think I was anywhere near good enough. Great has never crossed my radar because of the the gads and the weckles and the you know Omars. You go, oh Lord, great. Great is somewhere out there on Pluto. But um, I, like I said, a lot of my family was very. You know, they all had more degrees than a thermometer. Everybody like did like real jobs, you know, as to, but my mom was so cool. She was super supportive of it. She's just like, Thomas, if you're going to do it, be good at it. Um, and have a, have a backup plan. Her only requirement with me was like, Hey, you know, I want you to go to school or do a trade, just do something else. so You could make a living right? because she says she, even she, 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 and she would let me go in high school to go see stuff. But to answer your question, um, I I had a lot of deterrence. My band director in middle school, who I'm dear friends with now, wanted me to switch to tuba. He's like, you're not very good at drums. Really? (laughs) Yeah. But then I was real persistent. I think it was because I'm just like, so ADD and, you know, my, i was just a little little hellion he's like all right if yeah because
0: you you're a talk, drummer that's you yeah, should have been exactly. like this is this is this is the proof <laughs> that i am a yeah
1: <laughs> and that was his deal his name's everett mccann i love him dearly and he is one of the people why i play and a guy named joe first actually to to be fair joe first it was my uh, elementary school music teacher he's the one that connected me with the kids that i talk about that i played with who got me going down the path of r&b and soul but um really after Mr. McCon kind of put me on the Haskell horror book and stuck me in a back room, you know, and like, Mm -hmm. just made me go through the whole book and then let me play in band for like eighth grade. Um, he really did me a favor and I lucked out and went from him to another band director named Martha Stark at Gainesville high. And I mean, these people, they have all like gone on to be Martha's like a legend. There's all these awards. She passed away in the nineties, but I just lucked out good, really great band directors. And I, that's, that was the first time it dawned on me. I was like, man, this is actually a profession. If you study and if you actually work at your craft, but particularly, I didn't honestly, Nick, all through high school, all the other guys were so much better on drum set. I mean, I you know I won't bore you with the details, but there were like four or five guys from our drum line, each of which was really good at something. Like one guy was really good at jazz, one like progressive rock, one dude could just pick up any song. I was none of the above. Right. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I was just happy to be, oops, cut, 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 cut it's cool i've got this okay i can hold it here and,
0: what else, i mean what else do you really need
1: well exactly <laughs> i wish that someone had told me at that time heck i would have just stayed right there and just yeah. try to make it make it deeper um but yeah that was and we had a drum instructor and it's being in florida we were very fortunate this guy paul Rorig was he uh had March drum corps he encouraged me to do that and that is also marching i went in March drum corps um I uh, March snare with a group out of Miami called Florida wave in 1985 and being there with a bunch of guys in South Florida who were hit way hipper than me musically, you know, everyone in the line did, was into music in some way. And there was probably at least five, six great drum set players. And being around them, I got turned on to Toto and Steely Dan and like, you know, like started to learn about GAD. And, and at the same time, this drum instructor back home, Paul, who was, had already done drum core was turning me on to jazz he was pushing you know miles and coltrane and which i honestly at the time didn't get and didn't i, I couldn't i couldn't stand coltrane i didn't understand it it was so over my yeah. head miles yeah. my, i could dig miles like tutu and a Mandala and stuff and i liked you know but i didn't really understand like tony williams or anything so long story longer basically in a nutshell like in the mid middle of high school i really started to go hmm this is something if i I might have an aptitude for this. And thankfully, people like Paul that I'm talking about and some of the guys I marched with, they kind of gave me that impetus. That, you know, I wasn't the best marching snare drummer. I was a decent line player. But the guys were like, man, Tom, you got a thing on the drum set. And to jump back to childhood, I always kind of felt like I felt like kind of a goofball in a lot of areas, but I always kind of had this gut instinct that I was going to do something sort of performing. Like, I mean, I so I'm embarrassed to say this. I would like stand in my tub you know as a kid right. like <laughs> pretending i was on stage not that i was gonna sing like i was scared to death of the idea of being a singer but somehow i was gonna perform
0: <laughs> i felt <laughs> the same you know? i know exactly what you're talking about because i felt the same exact way when i was a kid yeah i didn't even realize you could be a musician like it never you even could. it never even crossed my mind i was like you have to be a singer or you have to be some sort of like you know you have to be in a in a group where you're singing with other people i it never even crossed my mind that, exactly. Like, you could play an instrument. I don't know why. Like, I it sounds stupid to say now. Like, I maybe I'm like I I, I felt like I I didn't even realize that instruments existed.
1: And I, I don't think it's stupid at all, Nick. Because I mean I don't know. I'm like I'm I'm 51. So mm-hmm. I I you know we were if you're depending on the age group for me growing up everything was a band a group you know and like yeah. you said a lot of them sang and you didn't and again it was so overwhelming. I can still remember. I mean like my you know played my all my. Personal business out here. Sixth grade is like the only time I ever smoked pot. And it was with my neighbors up in a tree fort, you know, and we're listening to Deep Purple. And I just remember it was the most vivid thing. It was like music from another, you know, galaxy. Right. <laughs> and I, I'll, I forever will love Deep Purple because of the way that music hit me and made the hair of my arms stand up. But that's it. I thought, you can't do this. These guys come from, you know, some other place. Yeah. <laughs> it's not an option.
0: Yep. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, I, i uh i think that once like you start going down this path and then like one door opens and then another door opens and then, and you start to realize like oh th- like you start to you start to see what the map looks like a little bit right and you start Absolutely. to say oh i mean i you know i i can remember going to college and thinking you know our professor had an endorsement with yamaha and i was like oh my gosh like, how <laughs> how does that even happen you know and and or You'd meet someone who played with these people, and I always thought that it was it was so far away. And then I remember getting uh, getting lessons after college, and one of my mentors, Glenn Farricone, uh, and he said, "You know, all those gigs are a lot closer than you think they are. Like the gig, like he's like even like playing with Eric Clapton. You know, he's like that gig is probably closer than you think it is." And we and we like you did, and I think we all do this, where we look at other people achieving these things, and we're like, "They're they're at this stratospheric level that there's yep. no possible way that I can get there," and which is not true. And I think the the big thing that I got from your story that you just told is that most of the guys that I went to college with, too, who were the best drummers in college and who were blowing everyone's doors off, are now like working at an enterprise rental car, or like they're not playing right yeah. so it like the the story there is that if you work hard at this and you're dedicated to it and you and you're willing to outwork everyone else that there's there's something there there's something there and, that you can achieve for yourself
1: and i i like your analogy with the doors you know too uh i like the doors as the band but uh i Good think band. there's you know there's something to be said for that of of this opportunity does knock and you know and the all the all the you know, uh, cliches of being prepared, and you know, and you know, things to come. But I just think it's also just being malleable and willing to kind of flow. I always use the analogy with students, like with music, is that like I think of a groove or anything as a river, and the rocks, the you know, accents and things are rocks in the river, and the way the water just flows around them and doesn't—it's uninterrupted. I feel like you can have that very career very much career wise. Cause like I said to you, even in high school, I was looking at all my music friends I'm in this really good band program and, you know, and they can all transpose. And I was lucky to find middle C and I thought, well, I'll never go to music school. They won't have me. They won't accept me. I was just hoping I could get into college. And, um, and that same Paul guy from Rorig for me, he, he happened to be working for Disney as a student musician. And he recommended that I'd come out and audition my senior year. He says, you know, uh, he says, "Tom, you might you might want to give a shot at this." man. he says, "You know, they're they're looking for people, and it was like the day before." I was like, "Okay." So I showed up, and they auditioned over at the University of Florida School of Music. You know, it's all college guys, and me, the one high school kid who mm-hmm. showed up. I just happened to this. Paul was nice enough to invite me, and they, honestly, I mean, I, I didn't really, probably didn't do that well on the audition, but I was kind of happy-go-lucky, goofy enough that I think the dan stamper who did the hiring for college musicians around the state of florida and all this was for nick was just for like their if you've ever seen at christmas they have the uh, the christmas parade on mm-hmm. christmas morning yeah it was the musicians that are in that parade and and then do uh standstill sets around the parks atmosphere sets throughout the day so you do like two parades and then like four sets a day all through the holiday break and they Got also do the same same thing like during easter so i just you know i, I just thought I, and all i'd heard is i'd like they make nine dollars an hour. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is in this like nineteen eighty five. I've been working at Albertsons and Publix, you know, for <laughs> three twenty five. Yeah. So I was like, sign me up, you know. And that, I mean, that's when I played in that Funk Dance band. The first time, I think I made seventy five dollars. I thought I was, you know, <laughs> died gone to yeah. heaven. But yeah, so that uh, the, that that. This, you know, I really owe oh, Dan Stamper. He got me in the door to Disney. He gave me an opportunity when I absolutely did not deserve it yet. I was only 16, you know, ju- just back from one year of Drum Corps. That was my big, I marched DCI, 21st place with Florida Wave. <laughs> nice. yeah You know, and, uh, are, are you from New York? Are you from New York State? Uh, no, I'm from Philadelphia. Oh, Philly. Okay, yeah. got gotcha. you. Good deal. That's, I was just curious because there's a group from up there. I, I was thinking about it. But uh, the, um, you know, and so, man, I, I just, Getting down there to Disney was incredible because all of a sudden I'm there with musicians that are students at University of Miami. Uh, North, we'd have we even had players who would come over from North Texas. Most of the seasonal stuff was just Florida colleges, so a lot of Florida State, a lot of Miami, you know, uh, South Florida, and those, and particularly the UM guys and gals were so cool because, you know, you're hearing all these Steve Rucker stories and he's such a legend te- teaching people like Lee Levin and Jonathan Joseph. And they were all in college at that time. Mm-hmm. So I'm hearing about these am- and Jonathan Dressel, all these amazing players and man, that really, that was the, that's the litmus for me or, or impetus or whatever you would play the point where you go, the aha, like, man, I can do this. And just, so I stayed in the Disney chain and just kept coming back. They were nice enough. You know, if you did your job and had a, happy little face, you know, played your parts. I just kept sucking up from all these great horn players and we didn't have a lot of rhythm sections. they were all atmosphere groups. So you'd have like three drummers and six, seven brass, which was actually really cool because I'm playing with all these horn players who play in the Miami concert jazz band and, you know, so Florida States jazz bands. So you, it was a, it, that was really the place where I saw what, the, like you said that, Hey, these are attainable things. These guys don't walk on water. Right. And it comes all the way back around to like your Clapton thing. I tell student guys today, like when I have young students, I'm like, man, go right to where, go to the source. I stayed away for years from a place like Nashville. Cause I didn't think I was good enough. Yeah, I thought you know, I thought, oh no, no, I'll I'll do that someday. There's no way. And I, now I kick myself. I wish I'd come here in like 1991.
0: Yeah, <laughs> you know, I mean, that's that's a real thing. I would like. I want to make sure that 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 we point that out that we don't move to places because we're scared of the competition. We don't apply mm-hmm. to play to get into different schools because we think that we're not going to be able to get in. We don't go yep. to we don't go to auditions. All those things where you know, and I'm guilty of the same thing. I think we all are. You know where. Where I probably would have moved to L.A., you know, I should have when I was 20. Right. You know, and was just fearful and, and oh, I mean, those guys are real drummers
1: (laughs) in L.A., you know, and
0: and I'm not.
1: Well, how funny is this? Because you've probably, I imagine you've probably interviewed Dave. Have you had Weckle on? Yeah. Okay. Oh, no, I haven't
0: had Weckle. No, no, no. I haven't.
1: He said one of the most inspiring things. Lord knows Dave gets lots of you know, people because he's such a monster and he's intimidating to people and stuff. Man, I saw him in a clinic at Thoroughbred Music in like 1987. This during the time I was – and by now, fast forward, I had kind of done a year of community college and then got offered a full-time job at Disney. And my mom, like, again, yeah, was nice. So she's like, how much are they paying, Thomas? I'm like, Mom, it's like 35000 a year with benefits. She's like, you go do that. She's yeah. like, you can finish college. Take,
0: take the gig. <laughs> you know.
1: Yeah. Take the gig. And she's like, but you have to buy a house. So I bought a house, an FHA loan at 18, but that's there another story. And uh Weckle, smart. man, I went, I went to his clinic and, you know, Dave was, of course, in 1987, he was the shizzle, yeah. <laughs> you know? I mean, he was and the guy. Yeah. He was the guy. I mean, we were, dude, it was lying down the street. Everybody's just like, <sighs> mm-hmm. and, and to be fair, Dave, I've heard lots of times where Dave doesn't always get the best rap on some things like that. And he was such a positive, super, he, he made a real emphasis, he emphasized guys, there's a place for everybody are you willing to work and are you exactly what you said Nick are you persistent do you want to be in this business it's like any other business you can find a place he said right. he explained it he had told his parents hey you know mom dad if you'll let me i'm going to work i've got here's my business plan i'm going to work this many hours a day i'm going to study all this and you know and of course his father was real supportive taking him to stuff when he was right. young but man he had a game plan and that's what he talked about he says don't let anyone tell you you don't can't find a place it, and and you know as long as you're again you know, I use the term malleable. I think he said something flexible and are willing to adjust. And that was, it's so true. I've i have mm. never, you know, like you said, as long as, you know, and I love what you mentioned earlier about the old school, it was drilled in my head at Disney. You've got to be versatile. I mean, one of my favorite things with lessons, I start everything with songs and styles because I'm right. like, guys, you need to know, you know, it's why I loved Tommy Igos when he first came out with his big poster. And, so man you just you got to at least have a cursory understanding. I remember going to Disney going what's in the ningo, you know what, Right right you know one drop what? <laughs> you <know? laughs> so, you know, but to come back to like you said, that's the thing. So many of the people are, that are in places like LA, New York, Nashville they're also willing to take the chance that, hey, it's okay. I, it's not a preordained right that I have to make a living playing drums. Mm-hmm. I may be over here washing cars, but I'm going to be playing drums too, and I'm going to be making music. And like Rich always says, Rich never, and I was there, I can attest to this, Rich never asked or asked how much it paid. He just right. said, let me see my schedule. Yep. Uh, from, oh, okay. Yep. Yep. Those two hours, I can be there. Yeah. <laughs> Yep. You know what I mean? And he knew it. He'd nail every gig that was offered to him. He knew the music probably you know, two hours after they gave it to him. Mm-hmm. You know. So that's that's the thing. Like you said, I think there's a lot to that of being being flexible and being willing to, you know, just dive in and 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 you know, it's okay. You're not gonna mm-hmm. get everything, but that doesn't mean you're a failure. Yeah. Just keep getting back up. All those cliches again.
0: For sure. And I I also think it's important to realize that that you mentioned Dave Weckl through you know the 500 and some interviews that I've done I mean guys like Peter Erskine and guys like Steve mm-hmm. Gadd and and you know these people who we put on on the Mount Rushmore of drumming deal yeah. with the same thing they have this fear of failure they deal with imposter oh, syndrome sure. they we no one is immune to this and and to to realize that other people suffer from those things and most people would say, yeah but there's Steve Gadd and they, yeah but it doesn't matter like they <laughs> He didn't, he didn't, he's not Steve Gadd be, just because he's Steve Gadd. He's be, he's right. Steve Gadd because of what he did. Right. And,
1: and because, because he's such an open-minded, humble man that's still learning to this day. Right. You know, I, right. I mean, he's, he's the quintessential example. Like I, I always watch, I, I've been using it with my students over at Lee and I, I got to give a shout out. I can't remember the guy's name, Steve Such or something that does these transcriptions. Oh my gosh they're on YouTube and he like color codes them with red and I've, I've written him and thanked him. I said, nice. man, I wish you, you know, I said, I can remember trying to do like four bars of this. And this dude transcribed that entire drum battle of, with well, not battle, but the, you know, oh, band, yeah, yeah, yeah. Weck, Weckle on one side, Vinny on the other and, and Gad, Steve in the middle, yeah. you know, and they made it so Is cool. The buddy rich,
0: again, uh, buddy rich. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's, I think so. I think that's, and it, and you know, it's a perfect example of what we all talk about. I mean, both those guys like, look up to steve so much they play drums the way they do because of steve right and yet I think from his point of view he's like i've got these two aliens <laughs> <and they're laughs> just from another planet and you know and yet he's the and in the coolest of ways he's also the daddy man nobody mm-hmm. puts down that boy he puts down that groove and you're just like yeah that's yeah that's you can't, why argue, steve Gadd. You can't yeah. argue with that yeah. And yet he would tell you, he could give you all the things I'm sure that he, you know, well, I don't do this well. Or I don't, you know, I remember, I love the story about him being out um, and had being from Rochester and, you know, first working with Chuck Mangione. And I forget who it was. I think it was Chick, Chick Korea. Korea was heavy on the bop thing. And, and Gad actually, because of his army background stuff was more big band mm-hmm. and had kind of one concept. And they said they took like a week off or something, you know, he and Chick had worked and he, Chick started turning him on to all the Tony Williams, like four and more and things like that. He said, Gad came back the next week and it was like a different drummer. Really? And, you know, again, again, Chick himself is such a fine drummer. Yes, I mean, he's such yeah. a bop head. And he said, but you could just see, it was the quintessential example of what a, a you know, consummate musician and Steve is, but again, it's a great, uh, you know, uh, it kind of underscores the idea of flexibility and willingness to be, you know, to once again, reinvent yourself, not to mm-hmm. say you don't have your thing. I mean, I had a student say to me that a couple of weeks ago on a, on a lesson on remotely, he said, he said, and he was real sincere. He's like 20 years old. And he goes, man, how, how do I study these other guys? You want me to watch and not lose my sound? <laughs> and, I went, and I, I couldn't, you know i just started laughing cuz it was so sincere i said i said it's going to be okay I, and i wasn't sarcastic i was like man i promise you dude it, trust me. I don't know if I've got a sound at fifty one. I'm right. like, you know, but but whatever it is, it's an amalgam of all these people that I admire, and just I can't play like them. I play the way I play. I just take yeah. what they do, and I said, and you'll do the same. You'll have your own thing, you know. But mm-hmm. I just thought it was that was really sweet because he was so concerned, and uh, you know, and I've heard people, you know, like come to Nashville and I'm like, well, I'm not doing that because I've got my sound. I'm like, well, you know, well, that's then cool you're not going to work. The other nine hundred, you know, excuse me, nineteen hundred ninety-nine guys will, guys and gals, they'll be like, oh, take me. <laughs> yeah. You know? yep. So, anyways,
0: what's your what's your advice for people who are looking at these these big things as like insurmountable? And when they're looking at, you know, they're nineteen, twenty, twenty-one years old, and I know that you deal with a lot of younger students. Sure. You know, not younger, but that age. That no, 18, no, 19, 20. absolutely, and. They don't think they they can move to Nashville or or LA or they don't think they can make a career. I mean, let's face it the career a career in music is a lot tougher than it used to be for sure. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, but what's your advice for people to get over that that sort of you know I guess it would be insecurity and and not yeah. thinking that they're good enough to go out there and do it.
1: Uh, you know the thing with it, Nick. I I, I because, like you say, that's just um, not even law of averages. First things first. I the one I say a lot is like your turn's gonna come. Guys like me, we've had our turn. You know, I, I, I nobody needs to hire a fifty-one-year-old to play for you know the latest, greatest twenty-three, twenty-four-year-old pop rock. You know, whatever genre mm. singer. I mean, sure, maybe in one certain situations I might land in a gig because the music director and I know each other. And, you know, drummers do have that luxury. We can have a lot more shelf life because we're way back there and back, <laughs> you, know?
0: <laughs> you know, put a hat on and wear some dark clothes. You'd be good. Uh, Exactly.
1: Right. I mean, my only LA audition ever was for Black Star Riders. When uh, Nick left the band, Nick DeVerso and my buddy, they had me come out and, you know, I was pretty happy. Audition went really great. There's like five or six of us. The guys that were like, great job, Tom, great songs. The management guys are like, um, so will you, would you dye your hair? (laughs) The the lead singer of Blackstar, I love him. He's an Irish Irish dude, such a sweetheart. He's like, who cares about his, you know, know, the ex, his hair? He's he's drumming his butt off, you know? And I was like, thanks, man. And I said, sure, man, I'll shave it off. I don't really care. Yeah, whatever you want me to do. Uh, and they ended up getting an amazing drummer the guy from breaking benjamin was phenomenal chad uh, Z- 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 nigga, Z- Liga, he's phenomenal but anyway so uh, aside coming back to giving advice with that what i really encourage people to do is diversify i say look you know uh, first things first there's not i drove for years back and forth from Florida. i mean it wasn't really until 2007 that i lived here full-time but i've worked here in nashville since 1998 wow. and i i always remind people that hey it's just gas in the car. If you're – wherever you're from, if you've got things going and you're well – you know, and you're doing well, don't just throw that out. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Mm-hmm. Go back and forth, you know, because – and, you know, we all tease people when they come to Nashville. Don't live in Antioch. Everyone live, everyone moves to Antioch. It's the first place. Um, but oh, really? All, all, Oh, yeah, for some reason, it's what's convenient. It's real affordable, and it's close by. But you know right. it, it it can be kind of rough too. So it's the the thing about it is that I tell a lot of these younger musicians is get involved now. I mean, there's nobody standing down there gatekeeping on Broadway saying, "Oh no, nope, no, nope, nope, you don't live here. They don't know. They don't care if you walk yeah. out and you're a nice nice person and and somebody's like, "Man, I feel terrible tonight." And they're like, "Gosh, I wish we had a drummer." And you're in the audience. You're like, "Hey, I, I could sit in for you." Mm-hmm. You know, I know, you know, brown eyed girl, and you right. know, I don't know,
0: dude. That stuff happens, man. Like, oh, oh, that stuff oh. happens so many times. I actually, Constantly. my parents own a own a restaurant and bar, and we were we had a band that came in. The drummer mm-hmm. didn't show up, and I was bartending, and I was like. <laughs> I'm like, "Hey man, I can I can play drums." And the guys like looking at me. It was like a like this blues and soul band. He's looking at me. I'm yeah. like this 20-year-old white kid. And uh and I'm like, "Hey, man, I can I'm like, I can play." And he's like, "Are you serious?" I said, "Yeah." So, I went home, went to my parents' house, got my kit, brought it down, played and I ended up playing with that dude for years after that. Is and after so that fun. night, I said, I said, at the end of the night, I said, why did, you, why did you let me play this gig? Like, why were you okay? He goes, I figured, look, if you got the balls to come up to me and tell me that you can play and, you're, yep. and you, I could see it in your face that you could. He was like, yeah. I figured what's the worst that could happen? I was like, okay, yeah. cool you know, and
1: and they, and that gets back to that's perfect ties in perfectly to what I would say to younger musicians is, Hey, don't sweat what you can or can't do, or your perception. Like you said about Peter or Erskine or any, I mean, you know, there's, we're talking about a brilliant, one of the brilliant drummers of our time. Again, he could give you a laundry list of what he doesn't like in his playing. I'm sure Jack dejanet could, right. Tony could there. That's why they're so great. Cause they're constantly looking at their areas of, of what they would call deficiency. I just tell musicians, don't make the mistake I made of thinking that I had to be everything for everybody. Just. Be the best you you can be and be now, by all means, be gobbling up information as I'm I'm real funny because I'll be super paused. But that'll also kind of call them out if I'm like they've got these devices in their hands and they don't know. My name off Chris McHugh or you know uh, Shannon Force, you're saying to somebody who's coming to Nashville, right? I, you know, I'm like, have you ever heard of you know Rich Redman or have you heard of Jim Riley or you know Kevin Murphy? And you know, and I'll just go down some names and mm-hmm. no, no Keo Stroud, no Marcus Finney, no. I'm like, man, you got to get on that phone. Yeah. <laughs> like I bet I bet you watch Netflix and I'm like, I'm sure you've watched the latest greatest, you know, Instagram drummer playing Flatima Flawflaws. You're know, upside down. You might want to check out the guys and gals that work here. And right that's that's See that's what your competition the, is, well, and it's more not even a competition piece of like just literally the people that will befriend you that if you're mm. cool and you come to town, there's never uh Keo says it uh if you've I don't know if you' ever had him, I haven't there, had uh, him on yet, no. Keo's a sweetheart, you know, and he's kind of like the mayor of Nashville and Keo's so approachable, man. He's got no judgment. You know, he's not going to shoot. He's not come over and like glad hand you to like, man, you're so great. He's just a real straight up guy. And he's, he's just friendly to everybody. Never changes. I don't care how big his gig is. And what, like Keo always said, man, there's again, the Weckle thing. There's kind of, there's room for everybody. If you've got mm-hmm. a good attitude. And that's what I tell them. I said, man, just don't forget that so many of us. I know I was guilty of it. Oh gosh, man, I've gone through my phases of where I, I think I'm all that, and what am I? You know, I should be doing blah blah blah. Right. Anytime you fall prey to that, you're missing the boat. It's like, man, that's nothing's coming your way. Be, do it the other way. Put mm-hmm. the energy out for your friends. Help your yeah. friends get gigs and stuff, and be happy for them sincerely, and really know that you're doing the very best you can at, to improve yourself things will land in your, the, those doors you mentioned, they just open when you least expect it, but you got to be present. You got to, sure. you got to, and like you said, you know, like you at the bar, you got to be willing to say, "Hey, I think, you know, I, I've been working at this. I, I think I can do it." <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> could
0: know? figure, I could figure this out. And what yeah. I was saying about your competition, I should have, I should have worded that better. What I meant was, the people who are are working in that town, like you're Absolutely. gonna have to, you're gonna have to be at that caliber as well. That's it. So if you yeah. think you're gonna move to L.A. or you think you're gonna, you know, like if you want to move to L.A., go look up Brian Fraser Moore. Okay. Absolutely. Are you with that caliber? I mean, most people aren't, but like, can you compete at that level? You know, like if you're going to, if you want to play for the, if you want to go play for the Phillies, you know, and you got to look at the, the team and say, okay, can I compete at that level? And if you can't, then you better go to the batting cages. Same thing with, same thing with drumming.
1: And don't be afraid to ask them. I, uh, most, yeah. most musicians are just like professional athletes and, and you know, it's probably, we're probably a little more accessible, but in the age of social media and stuff, I, you know, I sure I get the, Hey man, let's get together for coffee. There's times where I'm like, Oh gosh, you know, I'm just honestly trying to keep up with my son and my right. own life. But generally if I've got time and a person's, you know, like friendly and somewhat persistent maybe, you know, cause I'm just bad sometimes at catching this stuff. I'm Like, yeah, you know what? Uh, I can't do coffee, but, um, uh, you want to, i got, I've got mountain bike trails, you ride bikes, <laughs> mm-hmm, <laughs> come on right. out, you know? And I mean, that's, that, that piece of it, people did that for me and, mm-hmm. and to do it to this day, honestly. I mean, I, I always, I mentioned sister Hazel, the Gainesville guys, so much of what I'm doing in Nashville is directly related to those guys. I mean, all the way back to, they got me in audition with John Mayer in 2000, right before room, when room for squares was coming out, you wow. know, obviously I didn't get the, didn't get the gig, but I got to play with John Mayer for like two and a half hours and it, it was a blast, nice. you, you know? And I'm still friends with Dave, the bass player from that time, you know, who lives here now. And it's mm-hmm. just again, it's friends, it's that know what you're capable of and know that you're um, you know, like a good hang. Because mm-hmm. that's I can't harp on that enough. You know this. Like you said, if you talk about, you know, like being out in LA, Jason Sutter, you mm-hmm. know. Um I mean Sutter's a monster drummer, can yeah. do everything, but but he's just a great guy.
0: Yeah. He's a cool he's, dude. He is a know? sweetheart. And, and that and that dude could he could sell ice to Eskimos.
1: Oh, right, right. I know he's I, like seven, <laughs> 17 houses. And he plays brushes <laughs> like, you know, Ed Thigpen. And <laughs>
0: <laughs> he's just, a he's, just, he's, he's a very smooth talker. And I don't mean that in a bad way, no, but just no, like, no, no. he starts talking and like, you can just kind of sit back and be like, man, he's going to just take me on a journey with his words. Oh, bro. You know?
1: Everybody loves him. You know, he's <laughs> yeah, got the uh, guy. guy here that's kind of like that is um, in different ways who can kind of own the room is Kevin Murphy. Murphy yeah. just is like, he has such a presence and he's so smart. And you know his his own quote. He's like, "Oh yeah, I'll suck the air out of a room," but he's not, man. He's got the heart of gold. Like if you ever see him on Instagram, sometimes he'll be busting on people. Uh, but yeah. he's like, but he's like the biggest champion of people too. And Kev is such a—he's truly a big teddy bear. You know, he's he a just beast. doesn't have
0: time. He just doesn't have time and tolerance for bullshit.
1: Which—that's exactly. And he's a big believer in in respect for those who've done the work like we right. look you know we, we all genuflect in front of an Omar Hakeem or a Marvin Smitty Smith because they deserve it mm-hmm. those guys it's what's that EF Hutton ad from the old days they made their money the old-fashioned way they earned it <laughs> <laughs> you know but that's that's the truth I mean I think about you know uh, Jason or I think about Rich you know and I mean it's just you can go on and on I mean mm-hmm. there's so I mean, Jim many, Riley
0: when he moved to Nashville lived oh, in his car you know
1: oh my gosh and dude I subbed for Jim at his dojo I've subbed and taught for him and Jim is such a complete musician. He's an excellent marimba timpanist. I mean, he's a really good timpanist. He knows the theory backwards and forwards. Duh. I mean, you got all you do is look at his number book. Mm-hmm. I, You know, I, he and um, I'm being so such a nitwit. I know his wife's name and it just flew out of my, I can see her face. Like, <laughs> but like they, they're also doing like rental properties in the mountains, just like Jason does mm-hmm. his rental properties in Joshua Tree. And, you know, it's like Redmond, everybody diversifies and works. And so that kind of comes back around to that thing. I tell people, Right now, I know, obviously, with the COVID thing, all bets are off, but it had been really kind of salad days here in Nashville. Like, the in-town players were doing better than those of us with, like, supposed national gigs because, I mean, not that we couldn't go work, but I'm just – Comparatively, in the old days, when you would come to town in the early two thousands and stuff, Broadway really wasn't an option. Mm-hmm. There, it was just a small cadre of musicians, and it was rough. I mean, it was it, it just, there wasn't that much money. Some really great musicians. I don't mean to sully it at all. I just a guy like me, I didn't know the country. Uh, I didn't know enough of the vernacular to do it. The right. repertory, but over the last decade, and I'm sure you've had plenty of guys on your show talk about it, it's been unbelievable. The money people are making downtown. Mm-hmm. You know, the clubs are thriving, and until all this happened. And so it was a great time for young musicians who just wanted to cut their teeth. You could get in on a gig that, hey, maybe you're playing with Suzy, Susie cream cheese or Jimmy, Jimmy, Jim to band, you know, the, you know, chunks of on his guitar, but y'all are all learning together. And it, like you said earlier about, you didn't know you could do it. You could be a musician. Mm-hmm. It's that funny thing in Nashville and I'm sure LA too, where you've got the people who come to be artists and they don't really have a lot of musical acumen, but they've got tons of like tenacity and promotional ability versus the musicians who maybe have a lot of you know we're we're the ones studying who's on the albums and everything and but we could stand to learn from them about how to present oneself and realize to get outside of like our little box of who we are it's like it's not Mm -hmm. about how we sound it's like how do we make the everyone feel and sound and how do we fit and it's okay like you know i've like i mentioned the mayor gig not even not even close john was super nice they were great but i just wanted the right guy for that gig and i love that music that's my personal i love his stuff yeah
0: especially that that room for squares album is a great album too i mean it's like his his debut album too it was
1: good what and how funny is it to fast forward years later that when i you know i from learning that album i remember transcribing all the material and i was like oh this is that guy that played in genesis after phil this near z guy Mm -hmm. and and back then and had played on the record and so i start looking him up and back in those days i think i sent him an email and like you know, know how i scanned it and i sent him a chart of um this tune called "Back to You" off John's yeah. off Room for Squares, and I just love the tune. And uh, I, I just said, "Man, I just dig your drumming." Blah blah blah. Well, fast forward a few years later, Nir moves here to Nashville. He and his wife buy a place in Franklin. He moves from New York, and I, I right as I get the gig with Tracy Lawrence, that was in twenty uh, end of twenty twelve, beginning of twenty thirteen. Tracy's album that came out right then, the entire record was done by Nir near did <laughs> and i mean dude played i mean everyone's like oh country drumming yeah i'll let yeah. you check out a check out an album called taillights headlights and radios it's some tour de force drumming it took me uh, weeks transcribing a lot of that stuff you know because i'm a wow. nerd i try i write i write everything out so i can't remember anything <laughs> so and it's just perfect example near is here's a guy who again had the foresight to look and go hmm new york is a very expensive place to live i'm struggling here not struggling I mean, he was one right. of the top guys but he's like we can have such a better life in right. nashville
0: and sutter always says it. he's like you can't afford to be an artist in new york anymore no it's no it's it's insane it's like insane so. yeah
1: i mean insanely, yeah you i can't even imagine you know i've spent time in philly and new york and that, that whole northeast corridor man is is no joke yeah it's not <laughs> you cheap. know
0: One line in the Dream Symbol family that I think is really cool is the Dark Matter family. They have the Flat Earth, the Moon Ride, and the Dark Matter energy. And although they're all made a little bit differently, they all involve the Dark Matter process. And this is really cool. Check this out. They take a symbol that is already finished and then put it back in the oven, hand hammer it, and then shock it with cold water, and then put it back in the oven. And what happens is the ash and the soot from the oven are fused to the top layer of the metal, which give it this really, really unique sound. And you know what? I'm going to let you hear exactly what this process does to a symbol. Check them out. <laughs> to learn more about Dream Symbols, their Dark Matter line, and all their great products, be sure to check out DreamSymbols.com. So the new Sonar SQ-1s, yeah, they're sick. They're made out of birch, and the reason why they made them out of birch is because birch has a balanced low, mid, and high range, so they sound great in the studio, and they also sound great live. They also have a sound sustainer system. It's a new mounting hardware, and it's rubber on metal, and what that does is it completely separates the mounting hardware from the wooden shell, so you're going to get an amazing tonal quality out of these drums. They actually got that from the automotive industry. That's where they learned about this technology. Not only that, I'm a car lover, so this is super cool to me. The colors and style of legendary car classics were the inspiration for the color selection of the SQ-1. So there are four matte lacquer finishes that you can choose from. So not only do they sound good, they also look good too. Check them out by going to sonar.com. Man, I there's there's a couple of things that I that I want to bring up. One, mm-hmm. um, you mentioned about how how you know we were talking about Sutter, where he's like, oh, I'm investing in properties, and you talk about Jim Riley, mm-hmm. and, all. and one of the things that that it's funny from the outside, I don't think that people realize that this is going on, but people on the inside know sort of what's going on. That everyone who is doing this as a career, I don't want to say everyone, most of the people who are doing this career have their hands in other things. I think a lot of people think it's like, they just go out on tour, they play, they come home, they sit on their couch, they go practice drums for a couple hours, you know, and then, and then they go back on tour. But it's like, people are working other jobs. People are, are, whether it be music related or not related. Um, people are investing in real estate. They're, they're, uh, they're teaching, they're, you know, they're writing books. Um, and for, I don't know why we have this stigma around it, where it's like, oh, you don't, that's all, if you do something other than just playing drums, then, like, you haven't made it, or something, like, I just don't,
1: yeah, isn't don't that funny, it, it's like a catch-22, because you've got, I can remember going to dinner parties and stuff, when I had a full-time job at Disney, you know, and was gigging, and, you know, typical musician, with like, five different things going, I remember standing with my mom, talking to some friend of hers, and, she and my mom introduced, oh, this is Thomas. He's a musician. He works mm-hmm. at Walt Disney World and everything. And she's like, so, and the lady goes, so you play music? So what do you do to make a living? <laughs> <laughs> you know, so there's that. And then there's the other end of the spectrum amongst our peers and colleagues were, oh, you're selling out or you're whatever, you know, the, you're not doing what you came here to do. I, that's, again, why, like you said, that stigma of like, hey, if you're just because, you know, I'm, I guess the simplest way to put it, Nick, is like, if you're my bud. I don't care if you're on, you know, you're the drummer for sting or Dickie doing the don'ts or nobody, if you're my friend and right. you know, we're going to help each other. And if you have a lawn business that you do Monday through Wednesday, and then you're able to go out with your ska band, cause that's where your heart is. Dude, more power to you. I think
0: that's awesome.
1: I, you know what I mean? And I think yeah. about like, I, uh, there's a guy here in Nashville that runs my, when we do my loud jam show, he's been coordinating the drummers for the last two years. And he's like one of the most beloved guys in town, Andrew Dixon beast of a drummer mm-hmm. from upstate new York. i call him he's part of the the new york mafia that's why i asked you because there's a bunch of these upstate new york guys you talked about earlier about sitting like sitting around listening to music these dudes must have studied every song <laughs> and album because i mean they are they are all ridiculous like every right. one of them on if they're on the gig they know every song they've known oh yeah oh, no problem yeah. <laughs> side three yeah. so but anyways, on point with that, like you said. <laughs> They're like, I are think, we
0: doing the album cut or are we doing the full version?
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, there, it's uh, there's uh, another drummer, Mike Catone. Mike is another one. And Catone's incredibly good drummer that yeah. way. And that's exactly it. But the thing about it is like several of those guys, one of them that comes to mind, like Andrew, he and his wife run a bed and breakfast in Franklin. Mm-hmm. And, and he has a studio. And so he does tracks where he's not even drumming. He's engineering for people. Right. So that's music stuff. But man, I know Andrew will also in a heartbeat, like, Go temp. Mm -hmm. I've temped for Kelly Services. I've I've been a substitute teacher for Metro Schools over the years. You know, when I had full time gigs, I mean, I was Bucky Covington's tour drummer with like he'd been on American Idol. I was working for um, Crew One where I'd push cases at the Mm -hmm. arena because I just wanted to, I wanted to get around and connect with more people. Um, You know, I can remember work in construction in between my Disney jobs mm-hmm. and, and you know not to I like I don't like making it all about me. I'm I'm just like man I look at it as hey um uh, i c I've the one that I talk to a lot with musicians is when you do get the gig, don't be for you know, don't be, you know, by all means do everything you can. Be a great employee. Be, you know, be early, be easy to work with, blah, 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 all the usual stuff. But when it ends, whether that artist gig goes away, they lose their deal, or they start really climbing, and guess what? They can afford someone be- that, at least at that juncture in time, is just better than you are, better known, or whatever. You will get unceremoniously dumped at some point. If you don't, good for you. You've yeah. lived a charmed life. Yeah. But the you know the old joke in most big, you know, businesses, and particularly in Nashville, is you you know you know you've been here a bit when you've gotten fired. <laughs> you know. <laughs> And, and that's the thing is I think to, to let um, – that's why I say to musicians who like do d- – when I say diversify, man, if you can get a real estate license while you're young, hey, this town is fertile yeah. for that, you yeah. know.
0: Yep. So. Yeah, I agree. It just, uh, I just, it,
1: you nailed it. If, if you've got a skill, why not use it, you know. Yeah. I've got, I've got a buddy who's great at doing flooring. <laughs> he makes a lot of money doing it. Mm-hmm. And then he rolls, he rolls out on the tour bus on Thursday nights. Perfect. You know.
0: Right. And it's like – I think that there's there's, there's something that's very empowering about doing the gigs that you want to do, playing the gigs that you want to – or, you know, playing the music that you want to play, uh, whether – you can choose, hey, do I want to stay home and hang out with my wife or my girlfriend on a Friday night or do I want to go play yeah. this gig for a hundred bucks or whatever? Exactly. And it's like, what would I rather do? And, even, and the stigma is real. I mean, Jason Sutter talked about it and he didn't say this privately. He said it, you know, on the yeah. podcast – and yeah. He was. He has his real estate license. He sells real estate to like friends and family, and and you know people who are looking to to pick up a home. And he was he was like, I was worried about saying this in public, yeah. you know, because people would, and this guy's he's doing a residency with Share, you know, oh, yeah. and and I is still mean, like, and people will still be like, oh, I guess Jason. It's like, what else do you? What, what, I mean, he's at the top. What do you, what else can he yeah, do? There's a know? lot
1: of there's a lot of silly preconceptions. I can remember when I went to start the loud jams. Uh, uh, series in 2010, 2011. And it was really just cause I, my, I had a buddy, Chris Nex, a guitar player, a friend of mine who'd moved up from Florida. I just wanted to introduce him to a lot of my friends. And we were kind of the, the, w- the ulterior motive too, is it was kind of, we'd every once in a while feature our little, our little power trio called the power triplets with our bass player buddy of ours. But I remember all these friends going, Tom, you're going to do jazz fusion. Oh <laughs> man. I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that, man. You know, it's good. You're going to get a, a bad, uh, you're going to get a rep for like, you know, people are gonna think you're going to overplay. I'm like, have you met me? I do overplay. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, I've am like, i never met a note I didn't like. <laughs> and then, I always you know, thought we got paid by the note. <laughs> that's exactly, man. I'm trying to go for my quota. <laughs> and so I just remember thinking it was so comical and I guess, and I get it for, and there are guys, there are guys and gals that I know who really do well. Like I've never been really on the, I, you know, my students will ask me, how do I get into the session scene? I'm like, when you figure it out, by all means, please tell me. Yeah. But I, you know, I'm being facetious just because I know that it isn't a scene. It's friendships, and and it's very organic, and and it's trust, and you know, and then also in this day and age, there aren't nearly as many master sessions where they're rolling in. You know, where you know uh, Drum Paradise is sending over the cartridge. Right. You know, you talk to Harry. You know, he'd tell you. I mean, I taught there at Drum. It's much to their chagrin. It's a different time with home studios and everybody's got, you know, some rig of their own. So um, not to digress, but like you said, it's, it's again, kind of being these preconceptions. I mean, it's so silly. I, there was a time where I had to have a Skype number that was a 615 because if someone saw three, my 352 area code, oh, he's not from in town.
0: Yeah. yeah I remember I, Steve I, Bowman talking about that years ago. Yeah. like, man, as soon as you move, change your number.
1: Oh, dude, Bowman and I both auditioned for the Gary Allen gig back uh, when he first came to town. I th- I believe he'd been here off and on, but I know him, Matt Billings. there were like nine of us that auditioned for the gig, and that's you know I, I remember looking and going, that's Counting Crows drummer, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. And, and I had known I used to live in Berkeley, so I knew Jim Bojes that still plays mm-hmm. with him yeah. now. I knew I knew him before he got the Sheryl Crow gig because he used to run sound. Hey, perfect example. Jim would run sound in downtown Berkeley at a place called. Uh, Oh, gosh, flew out of my brain. It's like a classic club right in the heart of Berkeley. And I, I remember then seeing him with a band he played in called Papa's Culture. And I'm like, this guy's awesome, <laughs> you know, and sings like a bird. You know, I'm like, dude, what are you, are you? Man, I'm just working. He was never Jim. Jim's dad played with like the San Francisco Symphony. Yeah, yeah. He was so, you know, so unassuming. And so that's, he's a great example, like Sutter, you know. They're just like, hey, man, whatever, whatever it takes, I'm still in the game you know, mm-hmm. and that's kind of my thing now. I, I moved out to the country to be closer to my son and I've lived in East Nashville for 10 years. They took my, you know, the, I think the hip hip uh, hipster police came by and took my car and I'm not allowed to live there anymore. I'm not cool <laughs> enough. Um, too old. But, uh, you know, that in all seriousness, I, I've always just thought, man, I, if I'm just like trying to keep my head down, I hope no one notices. I'm still sometimes getting paid to do this stuff. You yeah. Know?
0: Yeah. Uh, what is your, what's your take on, on building relationships and building friendships in the industry i think that's it's always people are like oh you should network you should network and for me i'm just a natural networker like i just i not a networker like in a sleazy way but i just you make friends i make friends pretty easily like but i don't i don't know necessarily know if everyone does what's your take on someone coming to nashville and like how they can start making friends in the town
1: I think it's being authentic. I think it's let it let it come to you. Definitely get out. I mean, I mm-hmm. you know I mentioned I mentioned Keo. I think there was a time for probably the, almost ten years that I bet if you went out on a night around Nashville, you were going to run into Keo. Right, and that he, he was present. He wasn't pushy. He's just hanging, and mm-hmm. he's funny and he's cool. I mean, who doesn't love the guy? Once you meet him, you're like oh. I like this dude and that's what's you know so you know there are only so many gigs like we were talking earlier i totally understood what you were saying about the profession getting to know those who are the the ones doing it well man those there just aren't that many of those jobs i mean Mm -hmm. i i couldn't i couldn't begin to tell you right now nick like all the young hip current country artists that if we were touring would be kind of in those mid headlining spots on the live nation shows right you know because that's a, yeah, I'm not gonna go totally off on a tangent, but with Tracy, it's kind of a fun thing because we get to we're kind of he's in more of an icon role, but we get to do those events and play like mid late afternoon. So I get to see all the new hip groups coming up, and man, the musicians are killing mm-hmm. the you know they're everything. Like these guys, all the drummers run like Ableton like they're running NASA. You know, I'm <laughs> like I'm like how do you turn that on again? <laughs> right. Now what what what's this midi cable you speak of, (laughs) you know, but in all, in all seriousness, you know, I don't even begin to know how many actual gigs there are national label, you know, the gig that with the tour bus and the, you know, certain amount of pay. Um, but most of my friends downtown who have done a lot of that will tell you, Hey, honestly, you can do better right here in town on lower Broadway Mm -hmm. in terms of, in terms of commerce. But like you said, for those coming to town, It is you are networking, but you're you're building friendships and you've got to, you know, that's one of the reasons I I didn't do it intentionally initially when we started loud jams, but the reason we've kept doing it is a lot of my friends have pointed out to me, man, Tom, this is a pretty cool thing where guys, you know, if you're a new guy or gal in town, it's a real unobtrusive way to walk in, get to meet some people, hang out, see who's kind of doing what. And and then get maybe get a chance to play and showcase yourself on a song that you've prepared and come in and put your best foot forward. Mm-hmm. And that was that last part was my intent. I, you know, as a guy coming up in jazz and working at Disney, I, I got embarrassed many a time getting put on stage in like a cutting session. You know, with like mm-hmm. all burning burning jazz guys, and I was not burning. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that. So I've always wanted to give younger musicians or you know people my own age just a real fair shake. And and so I think I think the 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 Biggest thing is, again, coming back to diversification, that you don't just try and meet all the drummers. You know, they're not hiring you. you know I mm-hmm. would go to songwriter nights. I would go to whiskey jam. and
0: I'm sorry to yeah. interrupt you, but I have to no, stop you ahead. and talk about and say, repeat what you just said. Yeah. Sure, make friends with drummers, but they're not the people who are hiring you. Exactly. Right. All these people put everything on Instagram and it's all for drummers. They go out and they try to make as many <laughs> drummer friends. They reach out to all the drummers that they know or, or that they try to like have coffee with all these drummers and stuff. Go be yeah. guitar players and bass players and MDs yep. and all that kind of stuff. Sorry, I had to interrupt no, because that's such no, an important thing that I want to point out.
1: Well, and you're spot on. I mean, I teased my friend Chris and and Nick's is, I mean, if you, uh, he plays with Ray Luzier now Mm -hmm. and Jonathan, Jonathan's band that he doesn't does when he's not doing corn. And Nick's is a monster guitar player. He's been my best friend. He's like, you know, we've been brothers for 25 years. However, and I always tease him about this because he's the first to give credit where it's due because I'm a motor mouth. And like you, like I say, I just kind of make friends. Mm I've, you know, there's, I'm sure plenty of people see me coming going, Oh God, not Tom. Right. But, at least they know i've never asked them for anything i generally try not to be on that plane i just want them to know hey man i'm just glad you you he or she is my friend um the one thing with we did over the years doing loud jams we david parks and i started doing the nashville drummer jam and it was parksy's idea because we loved uh uh what uh brian does tishy does with the bonzo bash mm-hmm. and we just thought it'd be a cool nashville thing well Chris sort of morphed into we used to when I first put we put it together David would like get all the sponsors together and I would get the bands together and then Chris kind of like elbowed in there on me before I know it you know, I used to have like five different rhythm sections and lots of instrumentalists. before I know it I'd look up and Chris was playing all the guitar we'd have like five bass players some keyboard players background vocalists and like 20 different drummers on every song say we're doing you know the Rush tribute right. and it's a credit it's a credit to Chris he could do this he Chris plays all all the guitar on Rush. And he would be like, man, I'm, it's pretty amazing how I'm getting so connected. I was like, well, yeah, if we had the Nashville Guitar <laughs> Jam and I, would, I was the house drummer, <laughs> you know, and I would joke with him. And I mean, to be fair, though, too, man, I've got to give props where they're due. Chris is like single-handedly runs that thing for us and makes it. And it's because he and his wife are so awesome like that. They do. They build authentic friendships. They will mm-hmm. not glad. They aren't trying to network you. They actually have friendships, and they'll just call you to call you. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm terrible about that. Like, you know, we could be buds and I'll be like, I'll go a year. will go by. I'm like, Oh, Nick, my bad. Yeah. And I'll mean it sincerely. I just kind of forget sometimes, but I know the one thing, like you said, I never mind as long as people aren't real brazen about it. There are times where you can feel you're being networked.
0: Yeah. You're being it's hustled.
1: like. It's like it's like, come on, man, slow, slow your roll. Right. I can't do anything. For, I, you know, you'd be better served to go to the listening room and do that to all the singers. And a mm-hmm. matter of fact, go, go ask them who manages them. This is what I tell guys. If, if you're coming to town and I never did this, Nick, I, I give it's, you know, it's do as I say, not as I do. I would go to every management firm and like try and intern. It's where the Belmont kids have a huge advantage. That's yeah. why they get, jo- that's why a lot of them get the playing jobs. Um, because a lot of them like do internships at the labels or uh, red light management or Black Creek or, you know, and so they know who the right people to know, because that's who's going to hire you. It's like a right. payroll. People who do payroll for Gary Allen or, you know, Mer, Mer, uh, Miranda Lambert or somebody. That's where the work is, is through those those avenues. Like you said, me and seven other guys. Geeking out over you know how great Vinny is, <laughs> you're,
0: yeah, you're not, not gonna pay your getting, bills.
1: Not gonna pay your bills. Me you probably won't even get a lower Broadway. You know, four hour call. Right. <laughs> <You know?
0: laughs> I I think it. You know, two things to point out too is that one, uh, developing these friendships. You I think people would be surprised how willing people are to help and to share their knowledge. It reminds Absolutely. me of the Jack Lemon quote that, that he says, "If you've made." if you've been lucky enough to be successful in the career that you chose then you should spend a good portion of your time sending the elevator back down and I, and i truly believe that and but most people embody that i mean there's i've i've picked up the phone so many times or wrote an email to say hey can i talk to you about this thing or or can i ask you questions not just in drumming but in business and i own, yeah, you know i own a couple of anything and uh and pe- most people are willing to help they really are like Absolutely. once in a while you get the jerk. That's like, I'm not telling you anything or I don't have any time for this, but that's usually not the ca- <laughs> It's just usually not the case.
1: And you have usually, to ask. Yeah. And they're in a dark place in their life. You know, right. like I've always said, if you caught me on the wrong day, I'm feeling low or insecure. I, you know, maybe I lost a gig or something. You know, it's it. Man, the best thing is the humility piece. I love what you said, though, the send the elevator back down. I always think of that Macaulay Culkin. Was it the movie he was in where you pay it forward? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, that is I. so many people have done it for me that I've I, I like. I like that saying, what is it? Give till it hurts and then give some more. You know, I feel, I feel like the onus is on, I can always speak for myself. You know, I was joking about that with Chris, but that's, you know, here's a friend of mine, you know, went coming up from Florida who wasn't connected to anybody, but he had, I knew he'd done all kinds of stuff. And I'm like, this guy's like going to be a, he's a natural in this town. He'll do great. And so it wasn't like I'm going out on a limb for a guy of his caliber. But the other side of it, when it's somebody that you don't know, But they just approach you in an honest authentic way like you said just i've had plenty of messenger things where i'm like oh gosh you know like i'm terrible with facebook messenger i'll see it like two weeks later um but i'll you know i'll hit a person up and some i've developed some great friendships now looking back on people that if i hadn't picked up the phone or to you know or when they said hey you know can we get together and you know and and i didn't and i kind of one to them and go well how about this let's you want to play a song on this loud jam show I do, you know, and you kind of catch the, they're like, what? I'm like, yeah, man. I mean, if you're here, you're probably, you know, the, the old saying in this town, man, they're, you know, the, the, the bar is pretty high, you know, just about everyone that shows up here. It's just like in LA where, you know, man, if you're going to town saying, Hey, I'm going to be a musician, you're probably pretty darn good. Right. You can play. (laughs) Yeah. You can, you can play, you know? So it's, um, that's the thing that I, I just I don't feel like I'm a I don't want to ever be perceived like some gatekeeper because I don't know anything. I mean, if Tracy's calls me up this afternoon and goes, you know what, I'm tired of looking at you. Well, I'm as unemployed as the next guy. Right. And, you know, and I've been there many, many times where I couldn't get get arrested for a gig. You know, mm-hmm. like i like, gosh, I'm working on everything. I'm doing everything. The only thing I can say that always did work out for me is that and I, I think I'm sure you can relate to this, is like you said again, kind of looking around and just Asking friends in other areas of life, non maybe non musicians and stuff. Hey, what would you do? Like I'm here at this juncture of my life. And they are always the same thing as hey, keep reinventing yourself, keep improving yourself in the areas you want to be in and stay prepared. Keep keep informed and, and when you least expect it again, that opportunity pops up. I mean, I'm seven years later, I'm like, I don't know diddly about country really. Mm-hmm. And here I am playing for a guy, Tracy Lawrence, who you pretty much can't stump him, man. He could just Put on anything of the last forty years, and he'll he'll tell you the name of the tune and the artist, like that.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. Those people always yeah. impress me. They can do that.
1: Oh yeah, and I'm like, what what business do I have playing drums for him? But ironically enough, my background in jazz and swing really plays well with him because he does a lot of waltzes, a lot of shuffles, and mm-hmm. he likes he likes that I have elasticity in my playing. Yes, yeah. I mean, I've gotten that straight from the horse's <laughs> mouth. I'm like, really? He, he said, now figure out who Keith Whitley is. <laughs> <You know? laughs>
0: I think that I think that's really great advice. And for people who who want to possibly reach out to you or follow along yeah. with what you have going on through social media and all that kind of stuff, what's the best way to to reach out to you?
1: Yeah, I think uh, several ways. Um, my my website's being has been lately spamming the heck out of me via email. So it's oh, really? I have to I don't know something's you know one of those bots got a hold of it. But uh, 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 my, of course you know my the tomhurst dot com. Um, and then my, uh, you know, either my Facebook page—I think it's the Drums Tom Hurst—or slash, I'm terrible with those Facebook deals. We'll link it up and, in the show notes for the podcast. Yeah, and then the Jam and Jethro on my uh, Instagram or the Loud Jams Instagram. I have—it's uh, just like ha- you know, hashtag Loud Jams. And that's uh, G- uh, J A M Z. Cool. Perfect. Yeah. Well,
0: Tom, thank you for one for taking the time to chat. I really appreciate it. And there's some really, really great nuggets of wisdom in here that I think that that are, are super useful, not only for for younger musicians, but but also people who have been established for a while, maybe you're looking to reinvent uh-huh. themselves or, or maybe have gotten a little stagnant with all the things that are going on and are and and need a, a fresh uh you know a fresh set of ideas and and ways of going about building their career. so i think it's a great information for a very uh very timely information as well
1: well thanks so much nick it's a pleasure man i really really appreciate it and i see why your show is so successful man it's fun to talk to you
0: well i appreciate it thanks so much tom awesome buddy There you have it, the one and only Tom Hurst. I love that dude. An amazing, not only an amazing player, but an amazing person and a very thoughtful, a very caring person. And I got to be honest, that's what what gets you the gig. Like, you got to play for sure because everyone can play well. And Tom is in that category of people who can play their ass off. But he's also a great human being. And that'll get you... I think that'll get you further than your playing will. I really do. So always remember that. You got to be kind. You have to be a friend. You have to build meaningful relationships. And you have to play your ass off. And you can check out all the show notes by going to drummersresource.com forward slash session five, six, seven. And until the next podcast, keep drumming. Thank you so much for listening. And I'll be talking to you soon. Peace. Drummer's Resource is produced by Revoice Media. Executive producer Nick Ruffini, that's me. Edited by Justin Thomas. Video editing by Tomas Shannon. And graphic design by Catherine Wade. For more music and entertainment podcasts, be sure to check out RevoiceMedia.com.